everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, February 12th. Amanda Borchel is down here, joined by our diplomatic correspondent, Lizer Behrman, and our military correspondent, Emmanuel Fabian. Hello to you both. Shavuot tov. Good morning. Hi, good morning. We have a lot to update on, including a car ramming attack in Jerusalem on Friday just before Shabbat, continued IDF rescue efforts in Turkey, and how the earthquake may affect Turkish President Erdogan's political future. Stay tuned till the end, though, because we'll talk about a Jewish side of the Super Bowl. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. And we're back. Before we dive in, an update from last night's protest against the proposed judicial overhaul. According to organizers, some 145,000 people were gathered in Tel Aviv on Saturday night, with another 83,000 in other areas across the country, including the settlement city of Efrat. This would mark, if true, the highest turnout to date on the 6th successive Saturday night of demonstrations. No estimates, however, were available from the police. Now, for those who are interested in hearing what the architect of the proposed bills that are getting a first reading on Monday has to say, please check out our most recent episode of What Matters Now with M.K. Simcha Rotman. What Matters Now is our newest weekly podcast focusing on one issue that is shaping Israel and the Jewish world right now. Manny, turning to you, just before Shabbat on Friday, a terrorist plowed his car into a group of people in Jerusalem's Ramot neighborhood, killing three. Please, first of all, tell us about the victims. So the victims of the attack on uh, Friday afternoon were uh, two young brothers, Asher Menachem Palei, eight years old, and Yaakov Yisrael Palei, six years old. Yaakov Yisrael was killed at the scene and his older brother uh, died over Shabbat in uh, hospital. The second victim who died as well at the scene was uh, 20-year-old uh, Alter Shlomer Lederman. He was a yeshiva student who had gotten married only two months ago, and they were on their way to their parents' home for uh, Shabbat. Now, who is the perpetrator? I understand that he is considered mentally ill. So the terrorist is uh, Hussein Karaka. He's an Israeli citizen from the East Jerusalem neighborhood of Isawiya. According to uh, Israeli officials and according to uh, some other reports, uh, he had been released from a psychiatric hospital uh, in Akko just a few days earlier. Uh, his family says he has uh, all sorts of health issues and other um, uh, mental problems he was suffering from. 
But according to uh, posts on his Facebook account, he had been uh, hailing uh, uh, terrorists, uh, terrorist attacks, terror groups uh, recently, and um, glorifying uh, recent attackers who had committed attacks. Uh, police have said this incident was a, was a terror attack, and they detained uh, two of his brothers as well um, over their possible connection if they knew maybe of his uh, intentions to commit the attack. I understand that his parents' home has been sealed as well as the home of the shooter in the City of David attack uh, two weeks ago, I believe it was, on Shabbat again. Right. So these are two separate things I'll I'll explain. So Karaka lived in a rented apartment. So legally speaking, uh, Israel can't demolish it or seal it uh, because it wasn't his apartment. And the person who rented it to him likely had little involvement or knew of the intentions to commit the attack. So uh, what is happening is they haven't yet notified the family of the intention to demolish uh, his parents' home, but the police, meanwhile, have sealed it. Uh, a temporary seal, so the doors and windows were welded shut uh, in a way that uh, can be reversed. So uh, if and when the the military or, or Israeli authorities notify Karaka's family that they will demolish their home uh, in Atur, uh, in East Jerusalem, then they will demolish it. And if the court accepts appeals on behalf of the family, then they'll remove the kind of the, the, the welding that they did on the windows and doors to um to uh, allow them to relive in the home. Uh, regarding the second attacker, um, this is a different situation. So the the 13-year-old boy who shot and wounded two people, one of them an off-duty IDF officer and his father, in uh, Malot Ir David, it's right outside the old city. In that case, the military has uh, notified uh, the family of the intention to completely seal the home. Uh, and this is a, a permanent seal. So in this case, it will it likely involve co- concrete being poured into the apartment uh, in a way that is not very reversible. Uh, This kind of situation is done uh, when it's not possible to demolish. Uh, For example, if it's a a single apartment in a building or if it's a a house that's attached to another house and you can't really demolish it in in that way, so they seal it instead. Uh, However, this is also an unusual move because uh, Israel generally uh, only demolishes homes of Palestinians uh, who are accused of committing deadly attacks. Whereas in this case, he only wounded two people. I say only wounded. One of them is still seriously wounded. But still, um, it is an unusual move. And it remains to be seen if the court will uh, accept the appeal uh, in this case, uh, citing previous cases where the court has, in fact, uh, accepted appeals and not allowed Israel to demolish a home of a Palestinian only accused of carrying out an attack that wounded people. Okay, Manny, thank you for those updates. Now, on to something completely different. The death toll from a massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria will, quote-unquote, double or more from its current level of around 28,000, according to a UN relief chief. Now, Manny, as of a report you filed yesterday, an Israeli military field hospital that was established near the Turkish quake epicenter has so far treated about 180 people, including Syrian refugees who are living in Turkey. Tell us a little bit more of what's going on there. So this field hospital has been established uh, uh, just like outside of a main city in an abandoned uh, medical center. And uh, it has treated, I believe, as of this morning already, more than 200 people. Um, and several of them, uh, over a dozen at least, are Syrian civilians who were in Turkey at the time. 
Uh, one of them was a four-year-old boy. He had been rescued three or four days after the quake and brought to the hospital. Uh, and uh, one of the nurses there, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Aziz Ibrahim, said that uh, he found himself chatting with the boy in Arabic and speaking with his uncle and, and looking after this kid. And it was a very cute story. Um, and uh, meanwhile, there's been other very um, dramatic rescues going on in, in Turkey by the IDF team. Um, so on Friday night, um, IDF rescuers pulled a, a nine-year-old boy um, from under the rubble 120 hours after the earthquake. Um, so a very, very long time, and he was um, and he was rescued. And earlier that week, his uh, his sister was rescued, and uh, also his father were rescued in the same building. And eventually, they reached uh, the boy as well. The mother of the family was uh, unfortunately found dead earlier. Um, but one of the uh, doctors uh, there, Eran Mashiach, who is a pediatrician, uh, he uh, said that he um, he was called to the scene when they were rescuing him, and he went into this kind of tunnel under this under the rubble under the building, uh, and attached an IV to the child to give him fluids and medication, uh, and then he leaves, and then the kid pulls it out, and then he has to go back in again to reattach it. And it was quite a dramatic story, and eventually they they get the child out, and he was in a a, a relatively good condition for being 120 hours trapped underneath a building. Uh, and he was taken to a, a, a local hospital in the area. Manny, thank you for that. We'll go to a short break. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4 by 4 Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories, Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Laser, turning to you, President Erdogan is, of course, in the spotlight right now. And how do you see his performance so far in dealing with the complete disaster? How do you see it affecting his political future? Erdogan came to power in 2003 in the aftermath of the disastrous handling of the 1999 earthquake. And amongst real anger in Turkish society, he was elected as someone who knew how to uh, get things done, even if he had some tendencies that were not especially popular then in officially secular Turkey. Um, you know, he has been in power since then as prime minister and as president. And I don't think his political chances have ever looked worse than they look right now. He already was facing some serious headwinds going into the May elections. Inflation is absolutely rampant in the country. Um, his autocratic tendencies have united uh, a range of opposition parties against him. Um, and we saw that this was really a, a concern for him. He's sp spending absolutely 
um, billions of dollars in, in initiatives clearly meant to to restore support or shore up support. And these initiatives will probably cause for further inflation after elections. Now, um, with this earthquake, you are hearing new types of, of criticism of, of President Erdogan. Uh, that the infra- that the building codes were ignored, that building was done by by cronies that you know just trying to make money and trying to skim off the top, that rescue efforts are way below what they should be, that um, there are places where just rescuers rescuers are not being reached, even though people can hear their loved ones under the under the rubble. Um, so this there's real anger, and I should also point out that these are poor conservative areas that are traditionally very supportive of Erdogan and the AKP. So this could be a real problem to a president who was, who was really politically um, vulnerable already. And his political rivals are certainly focusing on it um, and, and using that as, as renewed criticism against him. I will also say that there is not a, an opposition candidate named who will be uh, running against him. Um, so that is, is certainly something that the opposition needs to get on. There's also social media restrictions in the country now, as this, uh, critics of the regime are saying that this is a way to to uh, to limit the amount of criticism that does get out there, um, and that that could affect his political chances. So um, this is definitely something to watch. Erdogan knows this is a serious problem, and observers are, are on this as well. And again, these elections are coming up in May, so this is going to be perhaps, or I'm sure, the primary issue um, in these elections. Okay, Laser, thanks for that. Manny, let's turn back to you. A Palestinian man was shot dead by Israeli settlers in the West Bank yesterday, Palestinian health officials and rights groups said, but the Israeli army said it is aware of the case and said soldiers were not involved in the fatal shooting. So what happened there? What do you know so far? This situation in Karat Bani Hassan on Friday afternoon is a peculiar case because uh, you have a lot of sides saying things and no one is really disagreeing with each other, but there's still no real uh, bottom line here. So what we know is that a group of uh, Israeli settlers from the illegal outpost of Havat Yair, or meaning Yair Farms, according to um, the Samaria Regional Council, this group went on a hiking trip in the area uh, according to Palestinians and rights groups, they came and attacked uh, residents of this Palestinian town. And from um, what we know is it did end up with a Palestinian man being shot dead. Uh, that is that is what happened in the end. But what, what got us to that situation is, uh, according to uh, the rights groups and Palestinians, this group arrived, started just attacking residents on the outskirts of this town, and eventually one of them opened fire. The, uh, the the settlement authorities say that the group of Israelis were first attacked by the Palestinians and they threw stones at them and launched fireworks uh, at the group who were hiking in the area. There isn't any evidence right now of fireworks being launched or any injuries reported as a result of stones being thrown. And uh, according to um, the settlement authorities, uh, one of the one of the hikers. Uh, opened fire in the air. It says that he shot in the air to scare off this group who were uh, allegedly attacking them. They're not saying that they shot directly at the Palestinians, but ultimately there is one Palestinian who was shot uh, in the head and later died from his injuries. Um, The army said it arrived at the scene afterwards, was aware of what was going on, uh, knows that a Palestinian was shot uh, during this this apparent clash between the, the settlers and the Palestinians. 
uh, and police um, said that they are investigating but have not yet uh, questioned anybody or inspected the body to be able to determine exactly what happened. Obviously, check out the website for more updates. Laser, let's end with you. It's the Super Bowl again. I have to admit, I don't even know who's playing. Should I admit that? That's not good, right? But tell us, first of all, who's playing and if there's any Jewish interest. What's the jangle here? The jangle. Well, first, who's not playing? My New England Patriots are not playing, nor is my Tom Brady, who just retired. Uh, It is the Philadelphia Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, There is not the Jewish angle that we've had in past years. Uh, The more compelling kind of uh, community angles is this is the first time there are two black quarterbacks starting uh, in a Super Bowl. And there's actually a lot of American Indian stories here. Uh, The NFL has done a lot to make sure that the logo and the performers are representing um, some local tribes. And there are two, there's a Choctaw uh, player on the Chiefs and there's also from the Potawatomi Nation and there's a Cherokee referee. So those are kind of some of the other communities who have more compelling storylines this year. In terms of the Jewish angle, the best I could do is that in the Yitro Parsha portion that we read, uh, there is a mention of chiefs and then eagles, wings, uh, in the next chapter. So there is some allusion to the Super Bowl there. Uh, The eagles have a Jewish owner and general manager. But again, none of the players on the field are Jewish. The American History Museum in Philadelphia is selling uh, Eagles and Chiefs mezuzahs. Um, But sadly, we will not have representation on the field this year. But I will be watching 1.30 a.m. hosting my friends. So if that counts, there's a little Jewish angle right there. Laser, good luck tonight. And uh, may the best uh, Eagle or Chief win. Yes, that works. Same. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Manny, Laser, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.